into Ephesians chapter 2 and I will read the first 10 verses although we are looking at verse 5 today. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved that's the verse we'll be looking at in a few minutes let me read it again even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just crossed my mind as I was reading I was talking about uh, the church in, in Australia, and in the prayer meeting I talked about the one that uh, is scheduled to close in three months. And apart from the fact that that church supports our missions work, by the way, uh, they used to support us in Monza, they now support the church in Sesheke. Um, the Zambian lady who's a member of that church, well, no longer Zambian, now Australian, uh, she said to me that we joined this church 17 years ago. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning it is this. We've just welcomed two new members here. She said we were the last two to be welcomed in that church 17 years ago. Now, that's moving. Very moving. So, we are living in days of opportunity because almost every week we are welcoming new members. And we're even used to it now. We don't even bother to, to say, hey, welcome, welcome. Next week there will be more joining us. Let's make use of the moment that is ours. Well, welcome back, brethren, to our series of messages in... Um, the book of Ephesians, and we are deliberately calling it the unsearchable riches of Christ, celebrating the unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus. We have moved from chapter 1, we are now in chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul is primarily applying to believers something of the power that God exerted in raising his own son from the dead, ascending him up to heaven and sitting him in that highest throne in the entire universe. That's what we saw at the end of chapter 1. And we notice at the beginning of chapter 2, he now turns to the believers and says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, that power 
is the same power that is at work within you. Now, uh, the last time when we were looking at this passage, we, we particularly centered our thoughts on that phrase, but God. And that was the title of my sermon, but God. And in bringing God into the picture, we noticed that the first thing that Paul does is not to tell us what God did, but to tell us the character of this God because it is because of who he is that he has done that which he has done. That which ought to, to blow our minds completely. That God should do such a thing. Why? It is because of who he is. And we noted three aspects of God that really all tie into one aspect of him, and it is his goodness. We saw that he is merciful, he is loving, and he is gracious. But God, being rich in mercy, not simply merciful, but rich in mercy, and then Paul pauses and then says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Again, not just love, but great love with which he loved us. And as we shall notice in verse 5 towards the end, by grace you have been saved. So that's what initially we spent our time uh, dealing with last time. It's just concentrating on the goodness of God. The goodness of God. There, there's a, a slogan that goes around in Christian circles, isn't it? God is good? All the time? All right. So I can tell you straight around different places. <laughs> you just look reformed on Sunday mornings. But uh, <laughs> the point is, let's never forget it. God is good. And it is because he is good that we are believers sitting here even today. Now today, I want us to pause as we look in verse 5 to ask the question, what exactly did God do to save us? What is it that is his act of salvation? Well, verse 5 gives us the answer, and it puts it this way. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. There are three verbs that we find in verse 5 and verse 6. Verbs are simply action statements. There are three verbs that um, refer to what God did. What we are looking at is the first one. He made us alive. The second one is in verse 6, and it says, He raised us up with him. And then the third one is still in the same verse, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there are those three verbs that refer to God's saving work in bringing us to himself. This morning, I simply want us to concentrate on the first one. We are being told there that in saving us, God made us alive together with Christ. Now, the phrase made us alive is meant to be a contrast with what? The fact that we were dead. We have it in verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. We have it again at the beginning of verse 5. Look again the beginning of verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. 
made us alive together with Christ. So it's, we, 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 we obviously mustn't lose the backdrop because the backdrop is meant to enhance this otherwise absolutely hopeless situation. We were dead. And in the midst of that, we were made alive. Now, if we can sort of remove the, the middle part where Paul is concentrating on God's character, the statement is simply supposed to read something like this. So begin with verse 4 and quickly go to the verb. But God, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. But God made us alive with Christ. That's the act of God in bringing us to salvation. It is we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are in this bondage to, to the devil, this bondage to the world, this bondage to our own fallen nature, and then God comes into the action. But God made us alive together with Christ. Well, what is this? It is the very first step of God saving us. And I think it's important, brethren, as we are maturing as believers, to realize that, that in saving us, there were a number of steps that took place on that day of salvation. God did a number of things to finally make us who we are. And the first step was this same made us alive. This infusing of spiritual life into our souls. That's how salvation begins. Now, unfortunately, we often think that salvation begins when I make a decision, when I call upon the Lord, when, when I believe in the Lord. Uh-uh. That's our response to what God first does in bringing us to himself. God is the primary actor. It's he, but God made us alive. That's how we are saved. But God made us alive. In John and chapter 1, the apostle John, verse 12, the famous uh, verse 12, uh, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, notice the way it is very quick to tell us the first step that took place there. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he says, who were born, not of blood, in other words, it's not because of your parents, so it's not following generations. No, the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. In other words, again, it's not primarily because of some decision you made. But here it is. But born of God. But born of God. In other words, God is the primary mover in us coming to faith or to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence the phrase, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. It's God... First of all, acting to give life 
to the dead. In chapter 3, still John, chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ puts it this way, to Nicodemus, to Nicodemus, I'll begin from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter? There's already a problem here. He's now talking about what he can do. Now, does any of us do something to be born? Other people do something and we are born. So already the question is wrong. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. That which is born of flesh is flesh. In other words, it's, you can only give birth to a human as a human being. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is the spirit who gives new birth. And then he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In fact, I meant to add verse 8 because that's the point I want to bring out. That it is a sovereign act of God. A sovereign act of God. We, we are not the ones to determine whether we are the ones who are going to be born again or somebody else is going to be born again. It's, the, it's God by his spirit. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, who is made alive spiritually. It is a sovereign act of God. One of the ways in which I love picturing it, I've done it here before already, is uh, when Jesus spoke to dead Lazarus and said to him, Lazarus, come forth. He was dead. But it was this life-giving word that raised Lazarus from the dead. So what is it that happens when we have this new birth, or what technically is called regeneration. We will find that word uh, in a moment in the text that I will take you to. What is it that happens? Well, simple. It is life being given to the dead. An infusion of the principle of life so that Everything else that begins to happen after that in the process of salvation begins with that infusion of life that has taken place. Uh, quickly turn with me to uh, Titus and chapter 1. Titus and chapter 1. I'm taking long on this point simply because, you know, we, we've been brought up so much believing that actually salvation is about us. It's, it's the decision we make rather than thinking in terms of the decision God made in eternity, the decision that God made on the cross, the decision that he makes at the point of our salvation. That he regenerates our souls. 
that he gives new birth to our souls, that he makes us born again. Titus chapter 3. Again, beginning with us being dead, Paul uses different words here. But I want you to notice what brings about the change. Titus chapter 3, and I begin reading from verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Notice what brings about the change. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. So what brings about the change? But God. It's not us, but God, who arrives on the scene, as it were, appears on the scene and saves us, but doesn't end there. Notice, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. Listen to this. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There it is. By regeneration. By the new birth. By making us alive. Even while we were dead in transgressions, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, the Bible uses a slightly different picture there, and it is that he, he does a heart transplant. He removes from us the heart of stone, and puts in us a heart of flesh, a heart, therefore, that is able to respond to the proddings of repentance and faith. He does this, and as a result, we are enabled to hear what is called the effectual call. Again, let's go back to... to dead Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Now hang on, Jesus. Dead people can't hear. Lazarus, come forth. What does Lazarus do? He comes forth. He hears. Ah, but he's dead. But he has head. So dead people hear? No. The only reason why he has heard is because that same voice has infused the principle of life in him. And he's enabled to hear and he's enabled therefore to come out of that tomb. And Jesus says to his sisters and others around, remove the grave clothes from him. That's the effectual call that we are enabled to hear when that new life from God is infused into us. That's the first thing that we need to learn from this text. He made us alive. Verse 5. He made us alive. The second thought that I want us to capture from this text is that this regeneration, this being made alive, was secured in Christ. We've already seen that it is not a fruit of our own doing. It is a fruit of what took place when Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul captures it in those words, verse 5, but God made us alive 
together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. Now, if we go back to chapter 1, you will remember that we kept hearing this little phrase, in him, in him, in him. And it is in Christ. Because whatever it is that comes to us by way of salvation does not begin on that day of our salvation. It began in eternity when the Father and the Son entered into an agreement to save the elect. Let's go back to chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says the Blessed be, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, there it is, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And verse 4, Even as he chose us, there it is, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, there it is again, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Can I take you down to verse 11? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All that is saying is this, that in eternity, in Christ, we were chosen and predestined not only to salvation in time but to glorification in the end. Then when Jesus Christ died on the cross, again, in him we obtained redemption. In him we obtained forgiveness. 2,000 years ago on the cross, in him we obtained all this. Now, verse 11 is telling us that again, in him, in time now, we actually realize, we obtain that same inheritance. Again, in him, in Christ. Well, that's the truth that Paul is coming back to when he says, he made us alive together with Christ. The point he is making there is this, that when Jesus Christ died, when he was buried, when he rose again from the dead, we were in him. Because of that initial agreement that was there already, we were in union with him. So that what he was achieving was being secured for us in an absolute sense. It was secured for us in eternity when we were given to the Son. It was secured for us when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and went to glory. It was completely secured for us. We were made alive together with Christ. Together, It was done. And that's the reason why when we come to the next verse, verse 6, notice it's, it's even telling us that we are as good as having arrived in heaven. Let's read that. I hope you can see it in your Bible. Okay. It's not a, 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 
a grammatical mistake. Verse 5. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. Or there it is in him. In Christ Jesus. It's been secured. It's done. As far as God is concerned. Because we are in union with Christ. We were in union with him. In eternity. In time when he died and rose again. And ascended to glory. In him we are there. In him. Even while we are struggling against sin. Against the devil. Against the world. It's already secured in him. We need to realize that. The Apostle Paul, in at least two passages, deals with this matter. This, this uh, secured and realized. And then secured and realized. Secured, realized. Let, let's quickly look at this in uh, Romans chapter uh, 6 and then we'll go to Colossians chapter 2. I hope we, we will go through this and finish my sermon uh, in my usual time. There's, there's so much material and it's all because we don't think like this. We, we, we've so simplified becoming a Christian that we, we don't realize the profundity and the immensity of sovereign work that brings a dead sinner to become fully alive and walking with God in the world. We've turned it into a kind of just a decision. Make a decision for Jesus. Make a decision for Jesus. In actual fact, it's the powers of the coming age invading a human soul. Invading a human soul. In chapter 6 of Romans, the Apostle Paul was assuming that people are thinking, since salvation is free, completely free, by the grace of God, the bigger the sinner, the more the grace, well then why don't we make excursions again into sin? After all, we are already chosen, we'll get to heaven, and so on. His response is that this thing that has been secured. Let's quickly read it. What then shall we say? I'm really going to look at the first 11 verses. That's why I'm going to worried about my time. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us were baptized? Notice there, it's not into water. Eh? It is into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Now let's, let's use the, what the actual Greek word baptizo means. And it means immersed. Okay, so here it is. Do you not know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus, who were united into Christ Jesus. We're immersed into his death. So there we are. You were immersed into his death. Then what happened? We were buried therefore with him by immersion into death. Since we're in union with him. So as he was buried, we're buried in him. And then notice my hands here. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. There it is. So, this being made alive is together with him. It is in union with him. When it happened 2,000 years ago, it was secured. 100%. Verse 5. For if we were united, there it is, union with him. If we were united with him in a death like his, so that's where we are, we will certainly also be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. It's been secured. Now, he comes to the realization of it. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So, that experience of Christ in union with him, our old self was given a death blow. Finish on the cross. Let's go on. Our old self was crucified with him that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set from sin, free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ or in Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ or in Christ. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in him, in Christ Jesus. He's saying, consider it this way. Process your thinking. Realize that this is what has been secured. It's been captured in Christ. Let's peep at Colossians 2. Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul is dealing with uh, uh, false teaching. And it's, it's false teaching that was giving birth to uh, mysticism and legalism. Moving people away from Christ. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Notice, walk in him. Have you seen that? In him. Rooted and built up in him. So you, you, you don't begin with Jesus and then as you are now maturing, you move to something else. No, it's Christ, Christ, Christ. Why? Because all that you need to get you to heaven has been secured in Christ. So if somebody comes to you later and says, no, 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 you know, what you need now, you know, for you to, to be a victorious Christian, let, let me tell you what you need now. Kick him in the backside. You already have what you need now in Christ. So he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For there it is, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And listen to this. And you have been filled in him. There it is again, in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, there it is again, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, this is referring now to the actual realization of what has already been secured in Christ. It's, it, it now happens in actual life as you are, as it were, saved from the life of sin. Saved from the life of sin. And he's calling it here, this circumcision in Christ. You were circumcised 
with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. But listen to verse 12 now. Having been buried with him in baptism. And again, I want to repeat, it's not, the, the water baptism signifies this baptism. It signifies it. Okay, so let's use the word immersion there. Having been buried with him in immersion, in which you were also, here, if you see my hands, were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And then he repeats, and you who were dead, well, I think we know that by now, isn't it? Dead! You who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. It's done now. It's together with him, secured in Christ, and so on. We, we can go on. But so the point, the best way to put it is, at least the way I put it in my notes here, is that when Jesus Christ and the Father entered into that agreement in eternity that we saw in chapter 1, and also when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was this securing, securing. And then at a certain point in history, there is now the realization of it. There is now the actual experience of being made alive. But treat it as what I would call a mop-up operation. In other words, the fight finished long ago when Jesus said it is finished. He had secured our redemption. It's over. Now, it's simply the mop-up operation. That's all it is. It's, it's him now coming to claim that which is his own. Even our final uh, glorification is, is exactly the same. Uh, please quickly peep with me. I'm only two-thirds through my sermon, but I'll, I'll have to find a way to wrap it up. Uh, look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. And just two, two verses there, verse 22 and verse 23. It's, it's referring to our final resurrection, which is yet to happen. The reason why we know we will be raised to newness of life at the end of time when Jesus returns is because it's merely a mop up operation. That's all it is. It's, it's, otherwise, it was secured long ago. Verse, verse 22 and verse 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now the all in each case is all their posterity. Those who are in Adam and all who are in Christ. Okay, so that's really the way we have to understand it. And then verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. At his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who are in him. It's going to happen. Our bodies will rise from the graves or wherever it is that they finally met their, their end. Why? Because it has been secured. So, let me take us back to our text. So, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, secured by him. Hence that final statement, by grace you have been saved. Paul can't help it. 
but slot it in. We, we already looked at this grace factor, but it's worth just mentioning afresh. Now that's why he inevitably pauses and says, we, we can't just stop like this. We need to, to add this. By grace, you've been saved. Notice this time, he's not saying by mercy. He's not saying by love. He's saying by grace. Why? Because what we deserve is his wrath. As sinners. But it is out of the bounty of his goodness that he then acts in order to save us. It's by grace. By grace. Now friends, if this work of regeneration was a response to something we have done, hmm? because we have repented, because we have believed, therefore we are now made alive, therefore we are now born again, would he be saying, by grace? No. He'll be saying, based on what you have done. You have cleverly believed in him or cleverly repented or cleverly whatever. But he's saying the first act of God in the series of saving us, series of steps, is him infusing life into us, which was already secured in Christ. Surely, it's by grace that you have been saved. And that's one reason why. It's, you know what? You hear people say, you know, how can I be born again? And then you say, you must repent and believe in order for you to be born again. That's wrong. Totally wrong. It's the other way around. It's when you are born again, that's why you are enabled to repent and to believe. Otherwise, when, when, when Nicodemus asked Jesus, how can a man be born again when he's old? Jesus would have said, simple. Repent and believe, and you'll be born again. But that's not what he said. He said to him, come on, Nicodemus, you can only give birth to something that's human, physical. It's the spirit who gives birth to spirit. It's not you doing something. It's him. Who must do it? By grace, you have been saved. And I'm almost certain because um, John Newton uh, was a reformed person in terms of his theology. He was, to borrow a more modern term, a Calvinist. In his hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved the Rich Like Me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm almost certain if it wasn't uh, poetry, you know poetry, especially English poetry, the lines end the same way. He probably would have said was dead, and now I'm alive. But you know, how to make a life fit there is another story. But that's the amazing grace, that I was dead, and now I'm alive. I mean, that doesn't blow your mind. I don't know what will. Imagine if, if, if your, 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 your father or your brother or your sister died and you saw them dead in UTH and they closed them up and then they, they, they wheeled them into the mortuary. Imagine if the following morning they walked through your front door. Eh? I mean, I know what you would do. You'd run through the back door for dear life's sake. You'd be convinced this is a ghost. And, and, and if they say, stop, 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 actually, it's, it's me, it's me, it's me. After you've run about half a kilometer and you, you turn around now, is that coming back? The greatest thought in your mind is this is amazing. This is amazing. That's what you be thinking. This is amazing. Friends, that's our salvation. It's amazing. 
Because the spirit of the living God infuses life into the dead. And as long as we continue thinking that we become Christians primarily because, no, I decided, I decided, I decided. We'll come to that in, in coming messages. That's, that's further down the line, my friends. Further down the line. The first is a new life was infused into me. Let's imagine you met Lazarus after you had been at his funeral. Remember? Been buried long ago. Let's imagine you met him again. Yes, I know what will happen. You'd also be running the opposite direction. So you'd stop. Yes, hey, hey, stop, stop. It's me, Lazarus. Don't worry. I can explain. And then finally, you, 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 you apply brakes and you come back. And then you say, what happened? What happened? And then you say, well, you know, I decided. <laughs> Nonsense, man. What decision were you making? You were rotting in that grave. What decision did you make? Jesus made me alive. That's the reason why you're seeing me here. He made me alive. His life-giving voice. In my death, I heard the words, Lazarus, come forth. He gave me new life. Well, friends, that's us as well. That's us as well. We should be grateful, amazingly grateful, that God, by his spirit, has infused life into us. Amen.